But all of the sermons are online. You can watch those and catch up. But this is a really, really neat passage. This is a sermon. And we know this. Here's what we know. You could read verse 1 in chapter 12 to verse 9 and 13 in about maybe 10 right minutes, 15 minutes, whatever. We know that's not the sermon that Jesus preached. Right? He preached for hours and hours. So we have no idea what was in it. But this is what God, by inspiring the holy writer of Luke, wanted us to know. So that's what this is. It's, a condensed, it's like the Sermon on the Mount. No telling how long he preached that day. But he's, this, is, this is what God wants us to know. So we come to the text, right? And we ask these questions. What does the text say in every sermon? Preaching the whole counsel of God. These are one of the great lessons that I learned in the seminary. What does the text say? What does the text mean? And what does the text require? This is a living and active word that requires our response. The heart must respond to the word. We don't walk out and go, ah, that was a good word or oh, that was a bad word, whatever you say. But we walk out going, oh, that's what God wants us to do. I remember Dr. Raymond saying in seminary, Tommy, make sure you tell me what to do when you get to the end. This word empowers us. This word challenges us. This word changes us. That's the power of the gospel. Okay, not just unto salvation, but unto what? Sanctification. All the days that we're alive. So all of this is coming together. Remember the hypocrisy of the Pharisees he preached on? Then the parable of the rich fool who wanted a bigger barn instead of a bigger heart. Remember that? The witness of worry. Anybody in here dealing with worry other than me? Ah. And then the treasure hunters. We're all treasure hunters, right? What treasure you been hunting for lately? The witness of watching. Watching what? Living in the light of eternity. Watching for the return of Jesus. And then, from those to whom much is given, much is expected. With great privilege comes great responsibility, yes? Remember, we looked at that Spider-Man quote, right? With great power comes great responsibility. You have the greatest power in the universe. The greatest power in the universe lives in you. The same power that raised Jesus from the dead is inside of you if you're in Christ. So what are you doing in stewarding that power? How is that power coming through you? Remember, you're not a cul-de-sac, you're a conduit. So it doesn't just come inside of you and then circle around. It's got to get out. Four words on the bulletin. Gather, grow, give, and don't miss the go. If you miss the go, you miss the whole message. Because why? Salvation is not about you. Salvation is about him. And putting the gospel on display out there. Because people aren't just coming to the church. You've got to go get them. You got to go talk to them. You got to speak to them. You got to meet them. What did Jesus do? First century. Met them where they were. He didn't set up shop in the middle of Jerusalem, right? Main Street, Jerusalem, and put a sign out and say, open for business, wait for people to come. He went to them. He went to the shoreline. He went to where the sinners were. He went everywhere. He met them where they were. Then he drew them to where he wanted them to be. That's got to be the church. Okay, you ready? Now, cultural divide. You're, you're familiar with cultural divide. I'm going to give you a question. Sometimes we like to launch with a question for you to consider as we go through the passage. And it's a brief passage today because we want to get to that lunch with Dr. Sam. Right? Now, cultural divide. Think about all the things that divide us culturally in the world. Think about divide. So here's the question. Ready? Think about this now through the sermon. What is the greatest divide in the world? What is it? Think about that. You ready? Luke 12, 49 to 59. <laughs> it's fine. Hear now, hear now the word of God. 
You keep tearing that page up, you're fine. Don't you worry about Poppy. Those, those sounds don't disturb me at all. Because you're tearing them out and you're giving them to me when we're done anyway. It goes in my joy file. Thank you, Claire. I have come to bring fire on the earth and how I wish it were already kindled. But I have a baptism to undergo and how distressed I am until it is completed. Do not think I came to bring peace on earth. No, I tell you, but division. From now on, there will be five in one family divided against each other, three against two, two against three. They will be divided, father against son, son against father, mother against daughter, and daughter against mother. Mother-in-law against daughter-in-law, and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. He said to the crowd, when you see a cloud rising in the west, immediately you say, it's going to rain. And it does. And when the south wind blows, you say it's going to be hot. And it is. Hypocrites. You know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and the sky. How is it that you don't know how to interpret this present time? Why don't you judge for yourselves what is right? As you are going with your adversary to the magistrate, try hard to be reconciled to him on the way, or he may drag you off to the judge and then... The judge turn you over to the officer, and the officer throw you into prison. I tell you, you will not get out until you have paid the last penny. And may God add his rich blessing to his inspired and errant and fallible word. Let's pray. Father, it's no accident we're here this morning, everyone, by divine appointment, which means you have something to speak into each heart. Speak now through this broken vessel. Make it a word of salvation for the unsaved. And we always know that some in the sanctuary, and certainly by way of the Internet, are not in a saving relationship with Jesus. I pray that everyone within the sound of my voice would come to the saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. Make it a word of comfort for those in storm winds. And some are in unimaginable storm winds that are blowing. Make it a word of comfort, O God. Wrap your loving arms around them. And for those who are tired and weary and heavy laden, make it a word of rest. All things to all people. Father, we would ask that you would give us ears to hear and minds to understand and hearts that beat for nothing smaller than the Lord Jesus Christ. Come, now fount of every blessing. Unclutter our minds and unburden our hearts that we might see Jesus in him only. And it's in Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said. Amen. The divine divider, three simple headings right in the passage. Are you ready? Number one, his distress. He's deeply distressed. We're going to see why. Number two, his division. He said he came to divide. That's striking. So we need to unpack what does that mean. And then finally, his deliverance. Every week we come seeking what? Deliverance. I never understood the phrase that Dr. Kennedy used when I first heard it. God saved you then as he's saving you now. I understand it now. You're not just saved the day that you have been raised from death to life and been given new birth God has to save us every moment of every day after that because all we're doing is messing it up. So that's the power of the gospel, preaching the gospel to yourself every day. Husbands and wives, brothers and sisters, friends, preaching the gospel, understanding what God in Christ has done so that we live out of the power of the gospel. Christ's love compels us. There's the power. Okay, let's look at a few things that divide us, and, and, and it'll get you thinking about the question, right? What's the greatest divide? And then we'll see it right on the front end here, and then we'll, we'll, we'll walk through the passage. 
Politically, we're divided. You would agree with that. Economically, you would agree with that. Domestically, industrially. But now there's one that's the greatest divide. Supernaturally. Take a look at John 14, 6. Ready? Jesus said these words. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. It's not uncommon for me to speak to people in the church who love Jesus. Just love him. Love the gospel. But believe that God has some things in store for other people who are good. And and that there may be some other ways to, to get to heaven. They believe that. You can believe what you want. Right? Be like the individual says, I don't believe in gravity. Right? Guy gets on a 10-story building, and he, and, and, and he says, I'm believing gravity. He jumps off. And he passes the ninth floor and says, man, all, all's going well. Passes the eighth and seventh. All's going well. Five, four, three, two. Everything's good until what? Well, I guess there was gravity. He was sincere. He didn't believe it. Either this is true or it's not. You can't have Jesus as a great teacher or a good prophet. You cannot have him unless you have him this way. He says, I am the only way. There's no mountain that God sits on that all of these roads end up leading there. God was on top of the mountain and he had to come off the mountain and come down to people. And That's the only religious worldview that teaches that. The one that you have. So this is, that's why it's so important to share the gospel with everyone. Because this is the only way to salvation. This is the divine divider. Even the unbelieving world believes that Jesus is a divider, yes? How do they know that? Time itself was divided by Jesus. Now, they've changed the letters today. But don't worry about that. B.C. is still before Christ. Don't worry about B.C., D.A.D., A.E.I.O.U., and sometimes Y. Forget nonsense. B.C. before Christ, period. And after, that's the end of it. So, the unbelieving world knows that he's the dividing line. We're going to see what it really means at a heart level. We've got to get this today. Okay? We're going to head out into some deep water. Let our nets down for a catch. Number one, his distress. I have 49 and 50. You can follow along in your Bibles. You can look on the screens. And if you're taking notes, you can do both. I have come to bring fire. We'll hit that in a moment. And I wish it were already kindled. Now, he's saying something important. We'll talk about that. But here's the first thing I want you to get. The, two word, the three words. But I have. Uh-oh. What does that mean? I won't even bring the original Greek construction for you today. Because I had a tendency Dr. Lamerson would be here and I didn't want to mess it up. So I'm going to leave it in the English. But I have. You know what this means? You know what Jesus is saying? This has already been ordained for me. This is by divine design. And where was this designed? In the eternal counsel of the triune God before there was ever any creation. No Adam and Eve, no fall, no you, nothing. Hebrews 13.20 says, By the blood of the eternal covenant, Jesus was promised. He knows this. And he says, "I, I have this appointment. Now he gives some key words. Watch this. I have a baptism to undergo. What is that? 
and how distressed I am until it is completed. Let me make something perfectly clear. You've heard me say almost weekly that we are to be living in the light of eternity, right? That's watching for Jesus. How would you like for just one moment to be living in the light of your own execution? That's a grace that God has given to you that you don't know when it ends. He knew when it was coming to an end. And he's distressed until it's completed. And he's only a few months away from the cross. Okay? Let's walk through a few points in the passage. Fire. Fire can mean a few things in Scripture, but often it means judgment, and here it means judgment. Okay? So let's go back to the beginning of of, uh, chapter 3 in Luke. Take a look at John the Baptist, and what does he say? The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. That's the fire of judgment. Okay? That's real. The fire of judgment is real. Jesus says that there's a fire. He's he's come to bring fire, the fire of judgment. Now the baptism. It's important that we understand what this means. I'm going to show you a passage that would be called a parallel in Mark. Mark 10, 38. This is a picture of the crucifixion. Now, depending on your denominational upbringing and where maybe you've been, you may be familiar with this term, right? For baptism, buried with Christ in baptism and raised to walk in the newness of... It's a beautiful picture, right? It's a wonderful picture. But he's, 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 he's talking about what, 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 what's coming, and he's using the term baptism. Let me give you the passage, then I'll, I'll take you back to the Old Testament. Many, many comments, especially from people who don't come to the church, they listen to the sermons and they comment on it, and they said, man, you are constantly back and forth the old and new. That's a good word. Why? Because this is one word from one God to one world. There's a single strand of truth that runs through all of it. It's God's unfolding and progressive plan of redemption in Jesus. That's what it all is. So now let's take a look at this baptism in the parallel passage, okay? Sometimes we have to go outside of whatever gospel we're in, then we come back and forth, but let's go to Mark and listen to what he says. The, the disciples said, we'll, we'll, we'll follow you everywhere you go. We, we, we're, we're ready to do whatever you do. And Jesus says, can you drink the cup? We'll talk about that in one sec. Now notice this, that I drink or be baptized. Notice how many times. Or be baptized with the baptism I am baptized with. Guess what he's bringing people's attention to? This baptism. Now, stay with me. Baptism here, this is is, the waters of baptism are symbolic of two things in particular. Number one, God's judgment, but never just judgment because in judgment we have the hope of what? Deliverance. So go back with me, just in your mind, go back with me to Noah. The waters of Noah's flood were God's judgment, yes? But were they not also God's deliverance to Noah's family? So we have the waters of judgment and the waters of, of, of deliverance and hope. The Exodus redemption. Remember the waters in the Exodus redemption in the Red Sea? The children of Israel walk across dry ground. And what happens? The waters now cave back in on the Egyptian army. It becomes the waters of judgment for Egypt and the waters of deliverance for God's people. This is what Jesus is telling us. There's, there's something unimaginable that's coming that I know about completely and I'm distressed my heart is overwhelmed 
So let's keep walking through this. this we want to get this heart of his. The psalmist, in pointing forward clearly to our Lord, he talks about the omnipotence of, 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 of the wrath that is against him. Look at these words. 88.7, the psalmist says, Your wrath lies heavily on me. That's the, that's the weight of omnipotence. Who can even imagine what that is? Weighing upon our Lord Jesus as he hangs on that cross. You have overwhelmed me with what? All of your waves. Back to the water. You see it? See it? Don't miss it. It all ties in. So we're back to that water again. The waters of judgment poured over Jesus so the, those waters of judgment would not pour over who? You. All of you who are in Christ. You will never deal with the waters of judgment. You will never have to deal with what Jesus dealt with. Yes, when you mess things up, you're going to be disciplined, and that's a grace from God. That's a good thing. As a father disciplines his children, so God disciplines us. Why? Because he loves us. So he steps in. He sees us heading towards the cliff, and he does what? Stop! But no judgment. Now, Romans 8, 1, therefore there is no condemnation. God's discipline will hurt, yes? But it will never harm. That's the difference. And you remember the garden? Remember the garden? Not the first garden. We're going to go to Gethsemane. Remember what happened there? Take a look. And being in anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat was like drops of blood falling to the... Did you know that medical science has proven that that, that happened? Not just to Jesus, that's happened. The anguish was so great, blood mixed with the sweat coming out of the capillaries and sweating droplets of blood. That's real. But remember, here's the key to understand in this distress... Don't just, don't just picture the cross. That's not enough. Why is it not enough? I mean, it's enough for us, right? We, we thank God for that cross, but don't just picture the cross. Why? Thousands of people were crucified on crosses. You're going to see at the end there were two, one on his right and one on his left. So I don't want to make that sound like it wasn't a big deal. I mean, it's a big deal. That's a lot of pain, but that wasn't the pain. You think he was in anguish over the nails and the thorns? That wasn't the pain. What was the pain? What happened during the sixth and the ninth hour when darkness covered the land? Darkness covered the Lord Jesus Christ. And for the first time in all eternity, he was separated from the Father. The Father could no longer look upon the Son. The Son who has taken upon himself our sin was separated from the Father for the very first time in all eternity. Imagine that. And he cries out, why? My God, my God, why? And the answer is, because of you and me. Crucifixion, as bad as that is, was nothing to the infinite, infinite wrath and judgment of God that was put. And you'll never, ever have to deal with that. That's the gospel. That's the power of understanding the gospel. So the distress, it's real. He's, he's in anguish. He's overwhelmed. He knows that this is, this is difficult. And remember... This is an appointment, divine appointment. He says in John, no one takes my life. I lay it down. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to raise it back up. 
So this isn't something that was done to Jesus. Nobody, nobody, who, who crucified Jesus? People say, well, it was the Romans who drove the nails. Yes, it was the Jews that condemned him. Yes, who crucified God the Son? God the Father. In the eternal counsel of the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit in agreement that Jesus the Son would come to rescue sinners from God's wrath. Power. That's the power of the gospel. So he's distressed. He's living in the light of his own execution. Thank God that we don't. Number two, his division. Now, this is intense, and we have to just, it'll be really brief, but we've got to talk through it. Because sometimes you read the scripture, and you go, what's going on here? What's going on? Another great question. I learned this one from Dr. Sam. When you come to the scripture, ask the question, what's going on? What does the author want you to understand about this, this passage? Don't just read it and run through it. And if it doesn't make any sense, eh, it's no big deal. Let me get to the next section. You've got to stop for a moment and say, what's going on here? Why are these words here and what am I supposed to get out of this? Because remember, here's how you understand the scriptures. You never take a passage out of the scriptures and look at it and go, okay, I know what this means. Because you never know what it means that way. You have to put it back into the scripture. And you look at the passage in light of the chapter and the chapter in light of the book and the book in light of all of scripture. You have to see it in light of all of it. Scripture interprets Scripture. That's the key in understanding how to get to the depth of what God wants us to know. So now you're going to see some things. You're going to go, well, I don't want to, what is this about? Ready? I came not to bring peace on the earth but division. Now that doesn't make any sense. He's called the prince of the angels over the, the shepherds are, 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 are singing. Glory to God on the highest. Peace on earth, goodwill toward men. What is this? I don't understand this. Doesn't make sense. Contradiction in Scripture? Let's see. There will be five in one family divided, three against two. Father against son, son against father, and on and on and on, right? We won't read that again. Pause. Question. And don't answer out loud because you're on live stream. Don't do it. Anybody deal with this in your own family? Is this a biblical truth? I have. When we got saved, I was 35, and Kim was 26, nine and a half years younger. Married a younger woman. And she's still with the older man. We, 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 we came to faith, and the very first thing that I heard from my family, the very first thing, how could you leave the church? I grew up in a different denomination. How, how could you deny the faith? And, and we live in a divided family. Now, that's kind of hard to deal with. But it's not as hard knowing what? You have a God who can sympathize with you. Why? How do we know what he lived? He was in a divided family. His own brothers didn't believe in him. And then what do we find out later? So church tradition says they all kind of came to faith, it seems like. But certainly James, James, the brother James, what happens? To, what, what, who's James? James denies Jesus before he's crucified, and he comes to faith after. You know when we use on, on, on our Easter sermons, we, we, we like to give like, like testimony of, of, of the proof of the resurrection and all? You know one of the greatest proofs that, that even the top scholars have, scholarship all over, have no response to? It's called enemy attestation. It's one thing for the disciples to say, well, we saw Jesus alive. Yeah, you were hoping to see him. You were praying to see him. Maybe you hallucinated him, or you made it up in a dream. How would you answer Saul of Tarsus? Was he praying to see Jesus? Was he hoping to see him? 
No, he was glad he was dead and buried. Something happened to him. What about James? How does James say to his brother, you're out of your mind. You're whacked out. We grew up with you. You're no savior. And then after he gets crucified, how does James come to faith? He has to have had an encounter with him, which Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15. He presented himself to James and to me as one abnormally born. That's enemy. If there's no defense against that, that strengthens your position. And no one has been able to come up with any kind of an argument that makes any sense. Why would Paul, why would Saul become Paul? Why? He hated the church. He was killing Christians. He was putting them into prison. Something happened on that road to Damascus. He had an encounter with the resurrected Lord. That's the truth. So Jesus lived in a divided family while he was on earth, right? So now, Matthew 10, 37 to 38. I want you to get this because this is important. Because again, this doesn't make sense at a surface level. So we have to get below the surface. Anyone who loves their father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Anyone who loves their son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Augustine called this disordered loves. Remember we unpacked that a couple weeks ago? You know what a disordered love is? It's a love that's out of order, right? You understand what that means? So I'm, 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 I do pre, premarital coaching, right? And one of the first things that we talk about when we sit down, because the, 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 two, the young, especially with the young ones, young couple, they're just, just madly in love, right? I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. And I say to them, I say, that's good. You should love, 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 love each other. But, and right now we're working with Jessica and Sam, so I say to Jessica, I say, Jessica, if you love Sam more than Jesus, you're in trouble. And Sam, if you love Jessica more than Jesus, you're in more trouble because you're the spiritual head. So what's the point of disordered loves? The loves have to be in order. So here's the key. So it doesn't make me hate. He's not preaching hate. What is he saying? What is he saying? Don't love your family any less. Love me more. Love Jesus more. If you love Jesus the way he's supposed to be loved, really the love you have for each other and the family almost looks like hate because it doesn't even begin to compare. Don't love your family less. Love them as much as you possibly But listen to this. You cannot, you, you cannot love your family the way God is calling you to until you love Jesus most. Steve Brown would put it this way. Ready for this quote? You cannot love until you've been loved. And you cannot love to the extent to only that you have been loved. So only by understanding the love that you have been given in Christ can you be, even begin to love your children the way you're supposed to. A lot of parents loving their children through themselves, right? Living through them. That's all wet, messed up. I'm happy to say I never did that. <laughs> Sorry, Brock. I mean, just messing it up. Messing it up. But God has grace for that. Disordered loves. Don't love anyone less. Love Jesus more. When, when that sinks in, everything changes, okay? So Jesus has become this, this great divider, right? And remember what he says in Matthew 25. This is important for you to get this. He says in Matthew 25, he's dividing the world into really, there's only two categories. It's not a whole bunch of categories, it's two. He says what? The sheep are on my right. And then what does he say? But the goats are on my left. You might want to move over to this side here before I'm finished. Or 
I'll turn around. The sheep are on my right and the goats are on my left. There's only sheep and goats. One's in and one's out. That's it. There's one dividing line and he divides it and he bridges the gap. All of it in Christ. Ready? So now we see the division and that leads us to what? The most important part. You got, you got to have the bad news before the good news, right? That's the gospel. Don't just tell them about the good news. Tell them the bad news. Right? What do we do in our, our evangelism program? Everything was good, right? All good. Then it was all bad. We messed everything up. Then it was all paid. All paid by Christ. And then we bring them into the kingdom of God. But everything started good. Everything was perfect. And then we messed it up. And everything went bad. But Jesus had already been promised. We hear it for the first time in Genesis 3.15. The Proto-Evangelion, the first gospel promise. You will strike his heel, but he will crush your head. Okay? So, deliverance. Don't miss this, and then we close. Here we are. Luke 12, 40, 54 to 59. Let's start with the first couple. When you see, this is now. He's been preaching to his disciples. Now he's speaking to the crowd. He says, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you say it's going to rain. That, that's coming out of the Mediterranean. Okay, so from the west of the Mediterranean, you see the cloud coming. You say it's going to rain, and, and it does rain. Then you see in the south, the south winds blow. That's coming out of the desert. So you see the south winds that are blowing, and you say, oh, man, it's going to be hot. And you're right. It's hot. Then he hammers them. You hypocrites. You know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and the sky. How is it that you don't know how to interpret me? How did you miss this? 1,500 years of Old Testament Israelite history, all of it pointed to me. Go back before that, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. John, in the beginning, was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. All of it is about me. How is it that you missed this? You know how they missed it? Blinded. By what? Their own self-righteousness. Their own pride. You read some of the great quotes of some of the greatest atheists that have ever lived. Big names. I won't mention any now, but you can look them up. One of the, one of the common denominators in all of their quoting about whether or not Christianity is true, they say whether it was true or not, here's the one thing that we didn't want to do. If we said it was true, then we'd have to change the way that we lived. And we had no interest in changing the way that we lived. None. Because Jesus demands what? Your heart. Now you can't live for yourself. That heart can't beat for you anymore. You can't shrink the size of your life down to the size of your life any longer. Now when you are in Christ, when Jesus shows up, what happens? You go back to the garden where Adam and Eve were, and what happens? The borders of your life expands now to the boundaries of God's kingdom. What God loves, you love. What God hates, you hate. What breaks God's heart breaks your heart. You see? So I'm going to show you a picture. You ready for this? Take a look. Tell me what you see. Think about this. This is coming right out of the passage, but I'm going to take you even further back in time when you take a look at this picture. Okay, red sky. You, 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 this is an old adage, and I know the words you're going to substitute for it. Wait, before, don't even put it yet. Hold on. Red sky at night. I knew you were going to say that. Show them, Danny. Shepherd's delight. We go further back in time. Forget the sailor. I want to go to the shepherd. 
Red sky at night, sailors delight. They could interpret the, the, through the sky. They knew the weather. Red sky in the morning, shepherd's warning. So what is Jesus saying? You people are so messed up. That's just me. I'm sorry. He didn't say it like that. I'm just me. <laughs> so like, you're just really whacked out. I, but we don't know what he said. Not all of it's recorded. He could have very easily said, you guys are really messed up. You interpret the sky. You interpret the winds. You interpret the weather and you can't interpret the word? You know the seasons, you don't know the Savior. The only thing you need to know, you don't know. Because you don't want to know. Because you don't want to change. You don't want to give up your chief seats. Moving on, this portion, nothing to unpack. Let's just say what it means very briefly. Judge for yourselves what is right. Here's the key line, right? When going with your adversary to the magistrate, be reconciled, blah, blah, blah. All he's saying is that it's better to get it done before you get into court. And what court is he talking about? The true high court, okay? Don't miss this. He's not talking about the local court. He's talking about the real court. Now, what's the last line? Ready? The last line. I tell you, you will not get out. So you're going to go to the high court. You're not going to get out until you have paid the last penny. So how do you pay off God in order to get out of jail? We play Monopoly. Anybody play Monopoly? Right, right. Where's our Monopoly man? Where's little Joe? Dress up as a Monopoly man. You know, Monopoly man. Get out of jail free card, right? Pull one of them cards out. And man, I get out of jail free. So how do you pay off God to get out of jail? It says you got, you're not getting out till you pay him. So you got to pay him. How do you pay him? With the blood of the lamb. That's how you pay him. You claim the blood of the lamb. And it pays your bill in full. Every single sin is washed past, present, and to come. Washed clean by the blood of the lamb. That's how you pay him. So you receive by grace through faith the Lord Jesus Christ. And salvation comes to your heart. So what is he saying? Here's the most important, one of the most important passages in the scriptures. We would all agree with this. We're all dying at the rate of 60 minutes an hour. The Bible says it is appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. We don't know when that's going to come. It happens all the time. The unexpected death. A dear brother in this church, family. One day, the father's here and then he's gone. But that father was in Christ. He understood the appointment that he had. He knew it was appointed unto man once to die and then the judgment. And he's with Christ, waiting for his family. You don't get a second chance at this. You're either in Christ or you're not. You're either sheep or goat. It's a hard issue. What does your heart beat for? Because you never know when it's going to stop. How do we close?
Ephesians 1, 7 to 10. Ready for this? You could spend weeks here on this passage, but we'll be very brief. In him we have redemption through his blood. There, that's how you pay. That's how you get out. You claim the blood of the lamb. John the Baptist knew what 1,500 years of Old Testament Israelite history pointed to. Goat and sheep, one after the other, day after day, week after month, year after year, the bleating of lambs, and finally the Lamb of God appeared. And John said, Behold, day, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. That doesn't mean a thing if he hasn't taken yours. Have you been covered by the blood of the Lamb? Because only through his blood do we receive what? Moving through the passage, the forgiveness. What is the one thing every heart needs? I'm not asking what is, the, what, is the, what is the one thing every heart desires. Forget that. The heart desires all sorts of things. What is the one heart, thing every single human heart that's ever lived, what is the one thing that all of it needs? Forgiveness. Every human heart needs the same thing. That's why it's easy to go out and speak to them about Jesus because somewhere deep, 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 way down inside, they know that. They can't run from that. They know that there's something there. Every heart has been made that way. In accordance with what? With the riches of God's grace. See, it's not your good works. It's not your good works. It's God's grace. It's not your merit. It's his mercy. You're not collecting good points. And when you get there hoping he grades on a curve, you can't get in. Only by the blood. That he what? That he lavished on us with all wisdom and understanding. He made known to us the mystery. The mystery. Not a mystery that's like some some kind of secret hidden things. A mystery that was exposed according to his good pleasure. Both the Jew and the Gentile through the blood of the Lamb would be reconciled into one people. One Lord. One faith. One baptism. All of us in Christ. Unity. And he's getting to that. Which he purposed in Christ. To be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment. What does that mean? It's not done. It's not done. That's why we have brothers and sisters still being put to death. That's why we have fussing and fighting in families. Remember, husbands and wives, the enemy's not on the other side of the bed. It's not your enemy. I've met the enemy and it is I. It's the enemy in the human heart. It's the sin that still resides inside of each and every one of our human hearts. Sin no longer reigns, but it remains. And we will fight that sin until we get to the other side. But what's coming? Jesus is going to come and bring unity to all things in heaven and on earth. When the trumpets sound, he's coming. And everything will be united in Christ. But until then, we have a dividing line. And what's the greatest picture of the dividing line? You ready? Here it is. There's the dividing line. That's a hill Golgotha. That's Good Friday. We've got Christ in the center. Now, we don't know right or left. We don't know. Church tradition tells us things. And if you want to go do your own little research, you can. If you look up some paintings that still have Jesus on the cross, which I don't think we ought to do, but they have some that he's on that cross, you'll see typically church tradition, his head is dropped to the right in the paintings, which leads them in the painting then to to then take us to, it was the thief on the right who was the good thief. We don't know. It doesn't matter. We'll just say that. So we have a thief on the right and we have a thief on the left. Okay, right was the sheep. 
left was the goats. They're hanging on the crosses, and they're fussing at Jesus. They're, they're reviling Jesus. And all of a sudden, something happens to the thief on the, on the right. What? Something happens. His heart is being transformed while he's hanging on the cross. And what does he say? He yells out at his friend, and they weren't just robbers. Whatever robbering was back then, it was much worse. Than they weren't just robbers. These were really bad people. He yells out at his friend. He says, stop. This man is innocent. We're getting exactly what we deserve. We deserve what we're getting. He has done nothing wrong. And then what does he do? And we have to be so thankful to have this, this scripture, or we'd never know. And it has given millions of people hope throughout the ages. Anyone in your family you're praying for? Anyone in your life you're praying for and you see no fruit? Don't stop praying. Because in that final moment, that good thief says to Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. Remember me. And what does Christ say? Today. Today you will be with me in paradise. Don't stop praying for those you love. Don't stop praying for the unbelieving world. God's arm is not short. He can reach all the way and he can reach everybody. That's the power of the gospel. But let me make one final point because some people have said this to me. This is a true thing. You know what? That good thief, he lived any way he wanted and he had that deathbed conversion and he came to Christ. So I'll just live any way I want and when I get to the end, I'll ask Jesus into my heart. Let me show you. First of all, he wasn't in a bed. Number one, where was he? He was on a cross. So note this, whatever he did do that was wrong, he was being fully punished for it on that cross. He was paying for his sins because he was being crucified next to Christ. So there's no deathbed conversion here. He paid his penalty for his earthly sins and Christ did what? Paid the penalty for all of his sin and brought him into glory. So the gospel is clear. With outstretched arms and nail-scarred hands, Christ has come. Will you come to Christ? You're invited. How do you come and how do you pay? The blood of the Lamb. You claim the blood of Christ. He poured it out on the hill Golgotha for you. By grace through faith, you receive Jesus. And salvation comes to your heart. We're going to pray. If you've never prayed, pray with me. By the way of the internet, if you've never prayed, pray with me. You're not saved by a prayer. You're not saved by a profession of faith. You're saved by a possession of it. But we pray. And we acknowledge that Christ is Lord. All believers, pray with me now. Bow your heads and hearts. Father, if there's anyone in this room right now, in this sanctuary, or by way of the internet, who has never prayed to receive Jesus, pray this simple prayer. Oh, God, I heard the truth today. I heard the gospel. I heard the, the, the truth that confirmed in my own heart I'm not good, and I know I'm not, and I can't save myself, and I cry out now to Jesus. Oh, God, be merciful to me, the sinner. Give me the gift of repentance and faith. I confess that I cannot save myself, and I throw myself on the mercy of the high court of Jesus Christ. I ask that you cleanse me with your blood. Clothe me in your robes of righteousness. And from this moment forward, even though I know I'll live imperfectly, my heart will beat for Christ. And Father, for the rest, many who've walked for decades, decades, strengthen all of us in our faith. Grow us up into Christ. 
Give us a clear picture of what the cross means to us and help us to be all that you've called us to be. And this we ask in Christ's name. Amen. Would you please stand and continue to worship with us? Thank you.